The world of real estate investing is always changing. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, attorney and author Natalia Willett Grice has the expertise to provide valuable guidance on how to navigate the complexities of real estate investing. This is the Legacy Academy. Hello and welcome back to the Legacy Academy. I am your host, Justin Grice, the COO of LCO Law. And with me, as always, my wife, attorney Natalia Willett Grice, the owner of LCO Law and the author of Florida Foreclosure Sales, How to Become and Stay Wealthy by Mastering Objections, Marketability, and Possession. Now, in today's uh, episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about joint venture agreements in real estate investing. So if you're looking for a partner in your real estate investment journey, this episode is going to give you the information that you need to make an educated decision on who, why, where, all that good stuff. So tune on in. Um, we're going to jump right in and ask Natalia here, can you explain what a joint venture agreement is in the context of real estate in Florida? Yes. So a joint venture agreement is, first of all, it's based on a contract. Okay. So there's a contract to get together with another party, one or more parties to engage in one little business deal. Okay. And the purpose of a joint venture is to limit the scope of who you're doing business with and kind of test the waters to see how well it works out engaging in business with this person rather than, for example, jumping in together and creating an LLC together with somebody that you might not know, right? Because that level of of co-ownership is more of like a marriage. Mm. And so a joint venture agreement, you can think of it as like a contract to date another investor. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's, again, not just allowing the way to test the effectiveness of the business relationship relating to one deal with real estate, but it's a way to bring together two very important aspects of real estate investing, right? One that brings in the money, uh, and one that brings in the sweat equity, the, the actual activity, the and the joint venture agreement will set those parameters, right? For profit sharing, for responsibilities, for what are the standards, for who's going to do what by when. So it is a, it's as like, I don't know, like let's call it the, the fiance relationship that everybody should go through the process of like dating in a structured manner <laughs> for your business. Bet you didn't think that you were going to hear about relationships here. (laughs) But what are some of the key components that you put into a joint venture agreement? So the joint venture agreement has the who, the what, the when, the how, and the where of a real estate deal, right? Like who? Who are the parties that are joining together in this joint venture? Could be party A with the money, party B with, uh, you know, activities, and maybe party C doing another part of the activities. Um, what, right? So in relation to what piece of real estate, uh, when, by when does it need comp- uh, completion? Um, when do you regularly meet to make sure that it's getting done? Um, how, right? Who's going to be contacting who? Who's going to have the authority to hire the contractors to fix up the property if it's a flip? Um, where, not just where is the property located, but like where are these things taking place? Like the financials, what bank is going to be used? Um, where is in what venue, if there's any dispute, like where right. are you going to have the place to resolve the disputes? 
So all these things need to be addressed in a joint venture agreement, in addition to what most people think about, which is like percentage of profits, percentage of contribution, you know, money down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also need to remember, right, like what also determines this project to be complete between the joint venture partners so that you know that you're done. Right. The money part's fun. The profit part's fun. <laughs> the profit part's fun, but you really need to go beyond that. Otherwise, you're going to have issues with the profit part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are some legal considerations that uh, they need to think about when entering into these joint venture agreements? All right. So I'm going to talk about legal considerations and business considerations. Okay. okay? Great. All right. Great. So legal considerations. You need to think about, obviously, liability, right? So if something happens on the property that they're, you're working on a flip on, who's going to be legally responsible for what happened there, for that injury, for that slip and fall, et cetera? Right. Ownership rights, right? Like, is the joint venture going to be the owner of this property or is one of the joint venture partners going to be the title holder uh, to this particular asset? Taxes. Taxes are huge, okay? There's this big case established in the tax court it's called the wheeler case and it you know on the one hand the internal revenue service wanted to tax the profits of this entity as one particular thing uh the other uh partners the people that were actually part of the joint venture were arguing for a different level of taxation but overall just to get an idea right Taxes are a big, important concept because if one of the partners is allowed to write things off and the other one's only allowed to receive profits, right, you're going to need to know how to calculate those things correctly. So taxes are important. Uh, Liens and contractor rights, right? This goes with the liability part, but who owns the, the, the real estate is going to bear the burden of the liens and the contractor rights and all of those things. Right. Uh, And then, of course, the legal side of um, the profit split, because if there's a dispute, that needs to be written in a manner that's going to be clear for eventually a court to identify this should have gone to this person, this should have gone to that person. And you also need to know, was it income to the joint venture or was it more relating to like a capital gain to the joint venture, especially if this is lasting longer than a year. Some Mm. projects can last longer than a year, especially if they're for much, much larger pieces of real estate. Sure, sure. So that's the legal thing and things you should consider. On the business side, right? You need to consider the relationship that you have with these other parties. How well have you known them? Do you have their information and data in hand? Think a little bit about the CTA that we mentioned in um, episode one of this season. Uh, you need to have mutual goals in place, okay? You, you need to have a joint clear vision that is expressed on paper so there's no confusion about what it means to be done with the project and what it means to have a successful project. Um, you need to do your due diligence. That's just essential. <laughs> like if you we are the, if the you are the money partner, you need to make sure that you're doing a, a like a monetary credit check on the person that you're working with, okay? Mm. Do not work with somebody that's irresponsible with money, please. Um, and then if you are the, the you know the money partner, you also need to confirm and verify that this person has the experience they say that they're having. So ask for sources, call up those sources, verify those projects, look them up on the public record, see if they were actually involved, had any title, et cetera, because you need to know. Yeah. You need to know before jumping into these things that, that like I hate having the 
client consultations where a JVA partner, and it's usually the money partner, comes and they're like, the person just disappeared with yeah. the money. Like that's it happens. It happens, but it shouldn't, right? If you are careful on the business side, you will have less issues on the legal side. Yes. Yes. So, so don't find them online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do your due diligence, please. Uh, what are some common risks that you've seen that are associated with these joint venture agreements? So big ones, of course, the failure to comply, right? Sure. Took the money and ran. That's like huge. Um, a lack of controls, a lack of follow-up. So if you don't establish the parameters ahead of time, if you don't establish those expectations of every week on Friday, we're going to talk about the status of this project. Where's the build? Who's the contractor, the contact information, uh, you're going to have chaos. Yeah. There's going to be no order. And you really do need to take it seriously, like a full project management kind of thing when it comes to, you know, getting together in these joint ventures for flips or for whatever other reason that you have. Um, I see a lot of risks when people fail to use personal guarantees. So usually it's two or more entities coming together, right? LLC right. one, LLC two. And the reality is, is that if one flakes out on the money, right, and you try to go get a judgment against them, but you don't have a personal guarantee, well, they could file for bankruptcy for that company. They could let it just administratively dissolve so that it no longer has any assets. And what's the value of a judgment at that point? So make sure you're getting personal guarantees from the people that are not the money contributors um, and make sure that you're really setting those parameters ahead of time. Who are you okay with as contractors? Who's going to be able to sign with those contractors? All these things need to be done ahead of time or you're going to have real big risks. Yeah. Before you even purchase the property, yeah. <laughs> yes. make sure that this kind of stuff is in place. Yes. Um, you, you went into a little bit um, of the protections here, but how else can investors protect themselves in these agreements? So... Um, you need to, and I'm really like hitting hard on this project management schedule. Okay. You need to have calendar timelines, you, your terms in your joint venture agreement need to be very specific about who is supposed to do what, by when, with whom, and when you check in. And that's what I mean by having at least weekly check-ins, the joint venture partners to say the status. Okay. Yeah. One of the biggest complaints that I get when I'm having those consultations uh, about people that didn't do the right things in advance is they're like, they just disappeared. I have no idea how to get a hold of them. You need to have a contact list, you know, kind of like landlords have that emergency contact list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You need to do the same for your joint venture partners. Um, set those weekly timelines, collect the information on your partners in advance, especially if what if the government decides that that is sufficient to be a beneficial interest under the Corporate Transparency Act for a joint venture. Like, even though a joint venture doesn't have to register with a state, what if they decide to expand their opinion on it for that? So you should be collecting all this data too on who your partners are. Um, and for the love of our holy Jesus, please, personal guarantees. Personal please guarantees. get people to sign personal guarantees. Yes, it sounds like specificity is really, really yes. important. Yes. Yes. You know, the, because when you go into court, if you end up having to litigate, making sure that there's no vague references to anything in your contract, mm -hmm. and essentially that's what this is, mm -hmm. so th that you have that leg to stand on. Yes, because ambiguity is the, 
the very nutritious feed for lawyers, right? Mm. If there's ambiguity, that means there's more to litigate. That means there has to be more testimony to support one side or the other in ambiguity. And so you're only feeding lawyers. Yeah. So that fun profit part <laughs> shrinks quickly. Very quickly and often goes in the red. <laughs> um. So how are profits and losses typically distributed? I mean, you, you kind of made reference to it as far as the, the joint venture agreement is going to have a payout, you know, mm -hmm. a percentage. This is what you get. This is what I get, blah, blah, blah. But what about losses and stuff like that? So that's, that's one of the unique components about joint venture agreements. Because they are treated uh, as partnerships under the tax law. They're kind of treated as pass-through for that purpose. So you can, under your contract, say, partner A is going to take off all the write-offs and losses. And that's usually the money-contributing partner, right? And then you can have the same agreement, say, but as to profits, partner A is going to get, you know, 65%, partner B is going to get 35%, and that's perfectly valid. Okay. And so it just, again, it needs to be clearly stated um, because you don't want to leave anything like that up, up to the interpretation of a court by that time you've already lost thousands of dollars. Um, but it's great because it's so open to agreement. It's a contract. You can both come up with creative ideas as to the profit distribution, as to who's going to take losses and when. Um, just be mindful that if your project is longer than a year, if you have one partner that can take off all the losses in that first year with all losses, you might have a little bit of an issue with the tax court. Right. <laughs> so so be what happens? What happens if you know a project goes awry and it mm -hmm. happens, mm -hmm. right? And there is no net profit. How is that addressed in a joint venture agreement? So right again, if you said that only one partner can take the losses that only that one partner can take off all the losses relating for, to it. For tax purposes. For tax purposes, right? And losses are a unique tool for entrepreneurs. Sure, yeah. Because, right, you've got one business that had these great, like, great income, and you might have a business that, that like, it's like, oh, man, losses are okay, like, for now, because it offsets my gains in this end or my income right. from this so other thing. Adjust right? Adjust your liabilities. It, it adjusts your tax liability while still showing that you have a profitable business here and you know you were just experimental on this other end. So you wanna make sure that you are aware concerning all of your assets, all of your businesses that you own. Do you see the value in being able to take losses through the joint venture? And if you do, write it in so that you can take losses. Okay. Okay. Um, can you discuss a little bit about the tam uh, tax implications of a joint venture? Um, I was just thinking about this. Uh, what if, you know, you have two entities, right? Mm -hmm. This guy has an LLC. This guy has an S-Core, mm -hmm. right? Is there going to be any difference in their taxability so within a project? There can be, and here's why. LLCs are in the eyes of the internal revenue, not an entity, okay? They don't exist. There's, it's not a thing. You have to check the box. And this check the box thing is fairly recent. I'm gonna say in the last 20 years, we have check the box, the election, the ability to pick how you're gonna be taxed. That's why LLCs are so incredibly popular. Sure. An S corporation is also not a thing, okay? You're either a corporation, LLC, a limited partnership, which is just a partnership, right? Or a sole proprietor in the eyes of the internal revenue. Okay. So if one is an LLC and that partner is just one person that owns that LLC. 
So they're by default pass through. They're treated as a sole proprietor. Right? Okay. They have less flexibility in deductions and tax opportunities than, let's say, the other partner who is also an LLC but chose to be taxed as an S corporation. They're going to have different and sometimes better benefits in their ultimate tax liability, even if they did 50 50 profit split. Because this one's going to have to report all of it as self employment income, da 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 da. 15.6% tax there, whereas the one going through an S corporation, they only have self-employment income on their W-2 wages. The rest of it is not subject to that. And those profits that are considered part of their capital, you know, like I put in this money and this produced this much money as like my return on my investment, nothing to do with wages. With respect to that aspect, it can under 199A of the code get a 20% discount mm. on their taxes on top of. So, you know. <laughs> might be worth just creating a new it with might, that election. Huh? It might be worth considering, right? If you've got a successful, profitable joint venture and you're doing these joint venture projects to make that S election, check the box for your LLC rather than it being just a pass-through sole proprietorship. But you've got to be making money for it to be worthwhile too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So uh, what is the role of due diligence in joint venture agreements? I know that you <laughs> touched on that a little bit, but can you dig a little deeper? Yeah. So the role of due diligence is to protect you from losing the two most valuable assets that you have in any business venture. Number one, your time. Yeah. Number two, your money. True. <laughs> okay. Right. Because without cash flow, your business can't do anything. And if your time is consumed in litigation and disputes, you're going to lose sleep. Your spouse is going to get pissed off at you. Your kids are going to be grouchy with you too. It filters down, right? So the role of due diligence is to prevent those nightmares from your life. Um, and your due diligence requires you to, again, verify that this person has good credit that they can manage projects, that they've successfully managed projects. Ask for the HUDs on those deals that they worked, sure, right? Yeah. Um, uh, make sure that like, if you can, if you can use a third party company to act as the funds disbursement agent so that you're not giving the money directly <laughs> to the non-money partner. This is a great way. Think of it how like um, you have construction loans. And with construction loans, the builder asks the lender to distribute the money. The builder doesn't go to the person who's the homeowner mm. to get the money. They go to the bank. Right. They show the bank, like, this is the next stage. Here's what we've accomplished, blah, blah, blah. We need the next release disbursement to do this other part of building the house. And that's how they're done, construction loans, right? There's a, is a verification process. There's a middle person. And so if you are doing a joint venture agreement, you should really consider having a law firm help by being the escrow agent, the party where the middleman holding the funds, that's verifying the information, showing you the info, you as a money partner approve, and then you can say, okay, yep, disperse for this. And then the money can get dispersed straight to the contractor yeah. rather than going through the hands of the person that's going to take the money and run. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. How do joint venture agreements, say they have a rental, mm -hmm. you know, and 
it's a long-term project, right? Because mm -hmm. you guys are both making profits off whatever rental income or whatever, right? How do they handle the property management responsibilities? So usually the joint venture um, partners will pay a percentage of the rental revenues to a third party company, a third party property management company. That third party property management company is then going to, at their discretion, under their own business guidance and et cetera, manage the rentals, okay? Sure. They're gonna have separate liability, separate liability coverage. They're gonna have their own practices, procedures, their own team, et cetera. And you kind of want to do this so that they also don't become seen as a partner in your joint venture. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let them be, let them perform on their own. Um, unless you are the partner that is contributing by being the property manager. And then in that case, the joint venture should have an agreement there saying that they're going to pay like a separate commission or fee associated with those additional services, which are the property management services in addition to that profit share split right um which comes from either the rental revenues or after you sell that piece of property the the capital gains or losses from selling the property okay uh one thing i'm interested in you, you know you're in this joint venture agreement and things start to go sour are there any exit strategies that are typically baked into a joint venture so that you can rely on. So I have seen a lot of poorly drafted joint venture agreements that fail to have any termination clauses. <laughs> they just don't say, how can I get out of this deal? And there should be termination provisions um, that say, you know, like if you own a piece of real estate, it's, you know, and one partner decides to terminate, then the other partner has to pay them, you know, like the fair market value of the percentage that they would have earned as profit to, to get out. But they need to specify, you know, notice, how much notice, when does it end, um, can, if there's mutual agreement, how quickly will the property be like listed and sold. Um, so there should be like terms as far as how or, or why you can bounce too, yes. right? Because you shouldn't have to worry about the guy just taking it like, well, I'm just sick of doing this in the middle of a project and that well, him having an exit strategy, right? <laughs> there, there is, so there's like a give and take on that, right? Because it's valuable to be able to get out of something, yeah, right? But there have to be steps and again, sufficient time period for the other partner to prepare. So I'd say, you know, at least like 60 days would be a good amount of time to have the other partner prepare for the fact that you don't want to work with them anymore. Now there should also be provisions for if this person commits act of bad faith. Yeah, right? yeah. Lying, misappropriation, et cetera. Then, you know, like they waive any and all rights to profits and yada, yada, yada. They forfeit X amount of money. That would be something key to put in um, exit strategies, parts of your agreements. Yeah, that's great. Now, can these agreements be modified? Like while they're going on, we got our property, but we kind of want to modify the percentages or whatever. How do they go about that if it's even allowed? So I'm going to say there's two types of modification. There is conscious modification and unconscious modification. Unconscious <laughs> sounds scary. <laughs> so conscious modification just means you both agree to a modification, you sign it, you date it, and you move forth on the new terms, right? That's a conscious amendment or change. An unconscious one arises out of your behavior in, in running the project. So 
how the parties can behave can result in waivers of, you know, what you had put in as terms. Sure. Right? Because if you said this person has to do this every week, blah, 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 but they don't and you don't hold them up to it and you don't say this needs to be done. You don't give them a breach notice. Well, guess what? You've just accepted that. It's now become a modification to the requirements under your contract. And that'll stand in court. And that'll stand in court. That's, you know, behavior can modify contract terms. And I've even seen it where, like, your contract has the entire agreement clause and it says, you know, this can't be modified by waiver, et cetera. And courts will still do it if you made it a very strong habitual practice to ignore that specific term or requirement. Mm -hmm. So behavior matters. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing that... In my head, you, we see a lot of family members who, you know, chip in for investments and stuff like this, and you really can't hold them to a different standard than you would any other business no. partner. No, you need because to, you can be more you're going to end up. Yeah, you're going to end up. Oh, you know, Joey, he he forgot to call this week, but that's okay. You know, he was busy or whatever. No, you really can't do mm -hmm. that. You both have to take it seriously, and if you don't hold them accountable, you're really hurting both of you. Yeah, yeah. Um. So when this happens, mm -hmm. how do uh, disputes get um, taken care of? How, how do you resolve these disputes? So the contract governs, right? If your contract doesn't say how disputes are resolved, your dispute resolution mechanism is going to be the courtroom. If your contract doesn't say you're waiving jury trial, guess what? <laughs> you might be subjecting yourself to a jury trial, which is a far more expensive yes. process. Um, so your contract should include alternative dispute resolution methods, right? It should say, you know, the party shall have like a 10 or a 20 day or 30 day period of negotiations first to try to resolve it. If it, that doesn't solve it, then mediation. If that doesn't solve it, you can maybe choose arbitration or litigation at that point, but give it some steps. Many, many things can be resolved through mediation. Yeah. It is a wonderful tool to, to come together and and see the realities, see the practicality of coming to a resolution. Um, something you should be aware of, right? For a lot of these joint venture agreements, if it's a an amount in dispute is greater than fifty thousand dollars, you're going to end up in circuit court, which has higher filing fees. The judges also take things more seriously. If it's less than $50,000 in dispute, it's going to be in county court. And I'm giving you jurisdictional limits for Florida. Okay, I'm not talking about other states. You should always inquire with attorneys barred in other states about yeah. those jurisdictional limits. But in Florida, less than $50,000 is county court. And in county court, things are a little bit more relaxed in a way that I think isn't as good for you. <laughs> so be mindful of that. Um, but that's how disputes are often resolved. All right. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So if you're listening along and you're listening to what kind of things should be in your agreements and you're looking at your joint venture agreement with your jaw on the floor saying, oh, crap, this is not good <laughs> for me. You can give us a call. Natalia can review these joint venture agreements and make sure that you're doing the best for you and your business. You can give us a call at 813-480-2106. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast application. 
And then tune in every Monday to get more tips on how to avoid investing's legal pitfalls and take your real estate business to the next level. You can also find us online at lcolawfl.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Legacy Academy FL.